what's up? This bruh man from the fifth floor. And look at here, when I'm chillin', you know, eating my sandwiches with my honeys up on the fifth floor. I always tune in to reviews and done. They all let. They be letting the brother know where all the Serb sandwiches is. Peace. So just, you know, listen to D talk. Let me, let me, let me finish your um, statement. So after Amy disbanded, you tried for American Idol and you're not making it to the top ten. You know, as I told your team, I'm not going to get into why you left the show and all that. Again, it's not my business. However, yeah. just as a consumer who watched the show for basically for a while, I want to know, with your style of music primarily being R&B, do you feel that the show never properly promoted R&B artists when it came to the top 12? Now, granted, Fantasia won, Ruben won, you know, Jennifer Hudson won the one in the Oscar, but for me as a consumer, I felt like no matter what the show of the season was, they never really pushed R&B the right way. And I get it, you know, it's, it's a pop-centered show, but I always thought it was kind of like... um bias because, you know, not everybody was on that show that they ended up winning. I'm not going to say any names, but a lot, of people that, a lot of people that were on that show that ended up winning, if you force them to sing a show, or I'm sorry, sing a song, like an R&B song with the original rating, so they couldn't do it. So why are they American yeah. Idol? So what yeah, are your thoughts on uh, that? My thoughts on that is your, uh, that, that, that observation is, is correct uh, for the most part. Really, uh, they, they, you know, there's there, but there's a few things that play into that. No, they were not uh, promoting and marketing the the winners of the show. My my uh, winners, air quotes. Like I put the air quotes up there because uh, you know we learned through the process of this litigation years years later that it wasn't even an actual contest. It was a it was a dramatized depiction that the producers had complete control over who they say won air quotes or lost air quotes. And it wasn't ever to be taken as a real contest, according to their statements in uh, the Second Circuit Federal District Court that, that we had this case in. So uh, basically, um, when it came to promoting marketing, the acts, Ruben Studdard won my season, air quotes, and, uh, you know, they did okay with promoting him, marketing him, Fantasia, they did okay. Jennifer didn't win, they did okay. Jordan uh, Sparks. She did okay. Uh, but then you turn and you look at the other acts, the Kelly Clarksons, the uh, Philip Phillips, the uh, Carrie Underwood, the uh, Chris, uh, whatever his name is, bald dude, the Adam Lambert, Dr. the Clay Aiken. Yeah. yeah, you know, you, you see the amount of press and, and, and promotions that went into them and keeping them in the spotlight even years after. And it's not equatable to the efforts or resources that were put in to the acts that were performing R&B. And I, I, I will simply, uh, uh, that, it, that also goes into the marketplace, like American Idol and the producers, the American Idol production team and the producers of the show and at the network, the executives, they, they know and they play on who their audience is, which is a lot of Caucasians in America. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot. And they, they put their money behind what it is they feel is going to get them the biggest return. You know what I'm saying? And that, that yeah. is a bu- the business side of it. 
And it's not to say that R&B couldn't be big if they promoted it that way because it could be. Um, but you got the mainstream market, and I say mainstream outside of American Idol, where you got acts like Justin Timberlake, uh, Adele, Robin Thicke, who are being heavily marketed and promoted for performing what anybody can identify as as a as a, as rhythm and blues at its core. You know, a, a, a black genre of a, a genre of music created by black musicians that they don't put the same amount of resources behind the black musicians who a architected that genre or B who are now performing in it. Uh, they don't want us to be singing about love. And I say they, by the powers of B in, in the industry and, and then just uh, the socioeconomical engine of this country at large, they don't want black people to be singing and, uh, and people can talk shit all they want, but they don't want us to be singing about love. And, and it's reflected by what it is that they accept and that they push on mainstream radio, you know what I'm saying, and, and yeah. on mainstream television programs. Uh, they want black people rapping and talking about denigrating each other's women and stealing from each other and murdering each other and doing and taking drugs and selling drugs and all of this salacious, inflammatory type of lifestyle that is not beneficial to our community whatsoever, but is looked at as consumable entertainment by the rest of the audience in our, in our country known as Caucasian. They consume it. It's a safe way for them to consume our lifestyle without being a part of it. You understand? Uh, and it's not all of our lifestyle either, but you look at the main markets and you don't see a lot of people like Prince and Michael anymore uh, uh, that are singing, you know, love songs. You don't see a lot of, uh, of uh, Joes and, and uh, uh, Donnell Jones or Stevie Wonders anymore that are singing love songs. You see, you know, the Little Waynes, which I'm not dissing Little Wayne at all, but they, they, they like what Little Wayne portrays. You know what I'm saying? They got you got the uh, the Takashi Six Nines, the you know the weekends talking about fucking and this and that, and it's not love no more. It's not good things. It's not it's not things that uplift our community or our people. And I compare it to a song by Curtis Mayfield uh, uh, from back in the day, the the uh, the Cadillac. Uh, the, uh, the, what's the, I forget the name of the song, but he's like uh, uh, it. If you don't have a car, brothers and sisters, still stand tall. You know what I'm saying? Like, and today it's all about materialistic. Like, what do you have or what do you not have that I have which makes me better than you? And that's why your bitch is going to leave you and come with me. They're, they're calling on women bitches all the time. And it's, that's what the mainstream wants to portray from us. Now, you swap over to Justin Timberlake. You swap over to Robin Thicke. You swap over to Adele. I forgot to even bring up on our side Nicki Minaj and Beyonce, even though Nicki's a rapper, uh, Beyonce used to be just a straight singer, uh, Rihanna, you know, those, those women, the three of those women together, Nicki Minaj, Rihanna, and Beyonce together combined have not sold as many records worldwide as Adele. So why is it that Adele has sold more records than the three of them combined when she's not selling sex? She's, she's up on the stage wearing her grandmother's velvet curtains, singing her ass off, and she's singing love songs. She's singing rhythm and blues. You know what I'm saying? But Beyonce and them are out there grinding, showing their ass, you know, barely showing they, showing they skin off, basically, to sell records. And they're not really singing love songs. They're singing about 
you know, riding a surfboard and doing this and doing that, all all sorts, all, all kinds of salacious shit. That's that's really kind of denigrating to their own image as women and to our women as a culture. Now, Beyonce wasn't always like that because I was a huge Beyonce fan when she was in Destiny Child. Still, she was still singing. Uh, and, and Adele is not doing that, as you can see. So now back to Adele, Robin, and Justin. They're singing our music, and these record labels are putting a shitload of money behind them to do that. Why is it cool for them to sing about love and, and betterment and, and uplifting and supporting each other in tough times in, in our format, but it's not okay for us to sing our format or about love songs or supporting or, or uplifting each other in the mainstream? You know what I'm saying? If we want to be mainstream, we got to be denigrating and talking shit and acting dumb. And that was a formula, even back in 2003 when I was on the show, that these executives at the network and at the production company of the show understood. So when I was on the show, I was, I was singing songs. You, you didn't see them on the main show, but they did an American Idol Rewind where they actually spit me out. They actually showed a fucking clip of me singing a Drew Hill song and a Boys to Men song when I was there. And that was just before... I got involved with somebody there that came to me and was like, you can't be doing these songs. They're great songs, but America doesn't jive with these songs. They don't gel with them. They don't jive with them. You got to be doing songs that America knows that they love, that they get in touch with. And you'll notice, even though it wasn't on the main show, if you go back and you watch Idol Rewind and you see the stage where I was singing those songs at, and then you go back to the regular show and see what I started singing after that clip that they showed in American Idol Rewind, then you'll see when shit started, like, hitting home with me and I started changing up my song choices. You know what I'm saying? And things started getting a little bit more pop and a little bit more mainstream acceptable. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, let me get the chart, Steve Perry. Yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was after I did uh, Sleeping in My Bed, Drew Hill. That was after I did... Uh, uh, Motown, Philly, Boys to Men, and then I did, uh, what else did I do from Boys to Men? I did, uh, I did this song off the Evolution album as well. You know what I'm saying? And then I did Water Runs Dry. I was doing all these songs that I love to represent the type of artist I wanted to be, which was R&B. Uh, and they weren't fucking with that, number one. Number two, when I came in, once I got to the finals and braided up, got my cornrows up, okay, so... The whole thing about me getting braided up was they had a hairstylist there that would, they would have done our hair for free, but they didn't know how to do the black performer's hair. Okay? So all the white performers were able to get their hair done for free because that's the style of hair that this particular hairdresser knew how to deal with. He'd never done black people's hair. And they refused, the production company refused to bring in another stylist that could do our hair. So to compensate, uh, once we started getting checks from the show every week, I took Ruben and Ricky and Trenise and Charlie and uh, myself, Ruben, Ricky, Trenise, Charlie. Kimberly Locke didn't go with us because she had finer straight hair, so she was able to get hers done by Dean. But the, I took the five of us to Fox Hills Mall to get our clothes because they kept taking everybody to fucking Melrose where T-shirts were $500. I took us to Fox Hills Mall. I took us to Sloss and Swap Meet to get shit. And then I took us over to North Hollywood, over to uh, Brother to Brother, uh, um, uh, uh, barbershop, uh, also to In the Cut, 
barbershop, which is right up the street up there, because they didn't have enough chairs for everybody at, bar, uh, at Brother to Brother. And then uh, Diamond's Hair Salon, who used to uh, uh, braid my hair up and uh, do cornrows for me. So I came back, and this was the first time that I had worn cornrows on the program. Uh, I, I'd had my hair out before that or pulled back in a ponytail. So I came back to the set, and we was getting ready to go on stage, and the, the production crew was like, what have you done to here? What is that? You take that out right now. You get that. I was like, I'm, I'm not taking out shit. Y'all motherfuckers didn't do this shit cost me $75. I'm not taking out a motherfucking thing. When y'all start paying for my hair to get done, that's when y'all can start telling me how to wear it. Until then, excuse me, I, I, they're calling me up on stage. So they didn't want me to, to show up with cornrows. They didn't want me to be singing the boys to men and the Drew Hill and the Jodeci and the stuff that I was singing. They wanted, they wanted pop. You know what I'm saying? So you could do old school R&B. Yeah, you could do old school R&B. The white, uh, older white people uh, grew their kids up listening to old school R&B, believe it or not, and they loved it. You could do that, but you couldn't do that new school R&B, and you couldn't show up with them liking it anyway with cornrows. I did anyway. And a couple weeks after that engagement and the week following that when we got the lawyer and shit through, through uh, my connection with the uh, production crew, then uh, that, that's when I was off the program. You know what I'm saying? And, they, and little did I know, they had this clause in the contract with us that says that uh, they could tell the world, uh, they could give any, they could disqualify us from the show, which is what they did with me. I didn't get voted off. Uh, they could disqualify us from the show, and they could give any reasoning for that disqualification, whether that was truthful or false information, and we could not, we had no legal recourse if they defamed us. We we can give defamatory false information about you leaving the program, but you can't do nothing about it. I didn't know that shit was in the contract, but you know it was, and they they did not hold back. They, not only did they defame me when they disqualified me, but they kept defaming me uh, for over a decade after I was long gone after, off the program. Every time the program would come back on air again, they would promote that and market that that uh, denigrating defamatory statement that they had made over a decade before to a new audience. Some people at that time weren't even alive when I was first put off of the program that you guys are introducing this bullshit information to, which is what led us to finally uh, uh, filing a lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and like I said, it's from from a consumer standpoint, just how I see stuff, and this was like, you know, when the show was first coming, like when, when it was really hitting, even before Simon, before Simon left. And um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you followed the show afterwards. There was a year no. that um, Jordan Dorsey was. Yeah, jo- jo- Jordan Dorsey was accepted on the show, and they had brought in Ellen to replace Simon. And no, you I know, remember Ellen, that. Yeah, you know, and Ellen, you know, think about Ellen. Ellen always kept him 100, but she still kept it PG. So Jordan goes up there, and he does John Legend, Ordinary People. Now, you know, granted, Jordan was talented. John Legend's, John Legend's that dude. But Ordinary, Ordinary People is a hard song to sing if, if you're not playing the piano because it, it's, it's a piano ballad. And Ellen looked at him. Ellen was like, you know, pretty much the hell you're doing. It's like, why aren't you doing something like Frankie Beverly and Mays or um, – you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, 
And he right. kind of looked at her and was kind of like flabbergasted because I guess Ellen was like, Ellen kind of knew us like, that's not your style, but you're trying to do something for this pop audience and that's not you. And like I said, that's all in my beef with American Idol was they just know how to treat R&B acts and give them the same type of clout. Because even even when Ruben won, they made a mistake by letting Ruben do an R&B album first and Ruben should have did a Christmas album first and waited like a year and then did the R&B project to appease the audience because, you know, even though Ruben won, Ruben right now can't perform, you know, Sorry 2004 for a mainstream audience and, and they know that song. But Queen yeah, is mean, it's, it's, That's because it's 2020. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's tough to do. You know, 1999 is a thing with Prince. Like, he got away with it, but it's, it's really difficult for any artist yeah. to really kind of put a date inside of their musical lyrics and then be able to continue to, to sing that when it's no, no longer that year or that date, you know, uh, unless you get lucky like Prince. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's totally that, that the ball with um, totally the ball with Ruben. Yeah, they, they didn't, they, you know, don't get me wrong, having Clive Davis involved in your career definitely didn't hurt Ruben at all when he got signed to J Records. But uh, that whole situation was not, as you pointed out, it wasn't like, shit, Play Aiken, air quotes, came in second, placed second, air quotes. And, uh, you know, shit, they, they pushed the hell out of his albums. You know what I'm saying? So it, it was yeah, a matter of who they understood their audience to be, uh, where they knew they were going to get the most sales at, and also, you know, that that could have been shifted with the right amount of marketing and promotion, of course. We know that from from times yeah. past of, of how the industry operates. However, uh, doing it that way also played into to their, uh, to the um, discrimination aspect of the actual program itself that me and ten other performers, or nine other performers, ten of us collectively, out of the 17 black performers that it ever happened to, uh, 17 disqualifications, meaning we weren't voted off, we didn't, you know, none of us didn't receive enough votes, we were taken out of the air quotes contest by the production staff for whatever reason, and each time that they did it in the 17 times across the seasons of, of Idol while it was still on Fox, it always happened to a male or female black performer, every single time, and it was always put blasted in the media. Oh, they weren't honest. They didn't tell us about their past. Woo-woo. And uh, it was very difficult to believe that we only made up 232 of the 2,000 and some odd people that went to Hollywood uh, within those the, the, that span of seasons, but we made up 100% of the public disqualification. You know what I'm saying? It, it's like yeah. 0% possibility of that happening, when, especially when you got – uh, their statements about why they're getting rid of us, and then you look at the records of the white kids that they were allowing to stay on the program for similar situated situations, and and they didn't treat them like that. They didn't disqualify them. They didn't embarrass them and their families and, and hold them out to be less than credible or less than talented. They, they allowed these people to still uh, continue to perform. So um, – 10 out of 17 of us went ahead with this case. It took them about four, three years to get rid of, uh, and they ended up getting rid of it on statute of limitations after three years, which is normally something that a court would get rid of a case over in, like, the first three months. If you, if you pass the statute of limitations, that's an easy, uh, that's an easy uh, solution to come to 
at the start of the case, and they didn't do that at the start of the case because we had so much evidence that proved it uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, which isn't wasn't even our burden. Reasonable doubt is a criminal case. Our burden was that it was more likely than not, which is a lower standard. You know what I'm saying? So we, we yeah. passed a higher burden, and it, it took the ju- judge three years to formulate a reasoning why we weren't allowed to move forward with our lawsuit. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we believe it took her that long only because we called into question her stock ownership of one of the major uh, one of the major sponsors of American Idol at the time while we were doing the show. You know what I'm saying? So she wanted to let that allegation that we made in court cool down a little bit before she got rid of us. But the whole plan was for them to just get rid of us the whole time, I think. But it wasn't based on the merits of our case. It wasn't based on the fact that American Idol did not, productions did not discriminate against us or that the Fox Network did not discriminate against us. In fact, they had a longstanding history, the network anyway, of doing so against black performers and individuals throughout other programs that they had put on television before that we were able to find out through the process of our investigation. So, it, you know, it was, a, it was a bittersweet experience. I took away some good things from it. You know, I, that, and none of us knew at the time that we were even being discriminated against. I didn't go home and, and was like, oh, they, they don't like black people. They were discriminating against me, even though you got the whole hair incident, right? That didn't yeah. make me believe that they were discriminating against us because nobody stood up in my face and was like, fuck you, nigga. You know, nobody did that. You know what I'm saying? But when you when Neo's lawyer, which is ironic, he's the one that actually ended up representing us, James Freeman, when Neo's lawyer brought the case to the ten of us, uh, you know, he threw out all these pictures on the table. He was like, tell me what you guys see. And it was our faces. And we were like, we see us. And he was like, yeah, but look, look, more, look beyond you guys. What do you see? And once we kind of took a step back and, you know, were able to separate the trees from the forest, essentially, we saw that all of us were black. And he was the one that had developed and, and saw this pattern and practice that the network and the program production company were taking uh, and, and the fact that every time they had a public disqualification, it was always a black male or female performer. And stuff so, you don't see, you really got to look at it. Yeah, the stuff that you have to, like, like okay, you know, yeah, it wasn't, they got four winners. A lot of people would bring that up. But four four black winners, Jordan Sparks and Ruben Studdard and Fantasia, you know what I'm saying? And it's, like, it's not about the four Negroes you got sitting at your dinner table with you inside the house that you allowed inside and you counted you got four people at your dinner table to make sure you let everybody know you let four in. It's the 17 that are hanging basically uh, theoretically by our necks out back in your digital hanging tree. You know what I'm saying? Just because you let four of us sit at the table with you and eat, doesn't mean that you're absolved of the guilt of, of killing the 17 of us that are hanging in your backyard. You know, thanks for I mean, not killing the four that you didn't kill. <laughs> you know what I mean, saying? even taking a step further, bro, even taking a step further, you know, even though he has a career now and, and he's, he's, he's that, so now, you know, they kind of shit on Adam Lambert because that the year Adam was on, Adam should have won. Christian the won that year because Adam yeah, was a, a whole the hell lot better singer than Chris was, and, you know, and even though Adam prefers the alternative lifestyle, just the way that he, you know, what his stage and how he presented himself, he was just a singer that can sing anything. Adam's the one that year. Adam Lambert is a singing motherfucker, and unfortunately for him, he fell in the same same trap that Clay Aiken fell into 
And, and and now don't get me wrong. At the time, everybody was saying Clay Aiken was gay. Clay Aiken was denying that shit left and right, and so was the show people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because back then, 2003, and even when Adam got on there, 2000 or whatever, the, 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 the country wasn't really as accepting of gay people as they are now. So you couldn't yeah. be out there as a, as a mainstream artist selling records and, and they know that you're homosexual. So Adam, unfortunately, folks knew he was gay. They didn't let him win, just like they, if Clay wasn't gay, they, they knew Clay was gay, but they were hiding it. But had he not been gay, Ruben would not have, air quotes, won that show. I'm, I'm just being honest out, 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 out front with it. You know what I'm saying? And, and when Clay finally came out as being gay, you didn't hear all the media outlets and the pundits and shit bashing him for being a liar all those years when he told people he wasn't gay and he wasn't this and he wasn't that. You, know, you didn't hear none of that. You know what I'm saying? But you also didn't see his career no more take off either. He started, doing, he started trying to be a congressman. You know what I'm saying? So unfortunately for Adam, he's got a following, but they 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 didn't feel. And I say when I say they, I mean the mainstream network of Fox and and the mainstream machines of the record companies. They weren't prepared and didn't think that the world was prepared or that the United States was prepared for a for a completely gay out artist. You know what I'm saying? You look look at Frank Ocean. Didn't nobody know he was gay at first. His shit took off. And then folks started floating around and he was gay, and he hasn't been able to really do shit since. Even though they're accepting of gay people nowadays. Yes. It's so a are you still texting anybody from the show? I'm sorry? Are, are you still texting anybody from the show? Uh, I mean, online, every now and again, I'll talk to different, different folks from my season and a couple different other seasons that were involved in, uh, that were involved in the lawsuit with me, but for the most part, not necessarily, no. I mean, I still talk to the Brendan Twins. I still talk to Juno Joyner. Uh, I was working with uh, Chris Golightly up until about six months ago uh, when his dad passed away, and he kind of took a sabbatical. Uh, who else? I still talk to Jacob John Smalley from my season every now and again, J. Red Andrews, uh, Donnie Williams, who's a singing-ass dude, uh, Tommy Daniels every now and again, and uh, Frenchie Davis, every now and again, that's my girl. And uh, Trinice, uh Ricky passed away, or not passed away, but he was killed in that in that head-on car collision uh, by a drunk driver uh, out in Oklahoma. And uh, Charles Grigsby, and I, I talked to Vanessa here and there, and I don't really talk to Kim Locke no more. I talk to her brother no more so than her. Uh, Kim Caldwell, having uh, you know, we take, we stay in touch through social media and whatnot. But uh, for the most part, I just kind of do my own thing. And rest in peace to uh, Ricky and no one um, I know uh, Janae Joyner a bit too, and just like talking to you on this interview and then you know being friends with him, like I, I can see why y'all get along because he's the real. He's, yeah, that's, that's a real ass dude. Like straight no yeah, chaser. Hey, I love Juno, man. I love Juno. Yeah, straight Juno no chaser. No nah, man. Yeah, yeah always, and, always. He's a great guy. And the guy, thing about. And the thing, the thing that I like about, you know, Joyner and yourself is, you know, just like, talking to you guys online, you know, when you have an opinion, it's might disagree with you, like, you know, you rarely go from zero to 100. You know, y'all, y'all keep it 100, but you keep it 100 at a respectful, you know, level. Uh, you know, level, and, yeah. Civil discourse is what it's called, bro. You, can, you can't get nowhere being emotional and angry all the goddamn time with anybody. And, 
you got to admit that you can't control other people and the world would suck if everybody was just like you. So I enjoy people that have a difference of opinion than me as long as it's reasonable, not disrespectful, or or, or, or bullying or, or racist in any way. You know, uh, I, I won't tolerate it. Uh, if somebody Now, don't get me wrong either. If somebody comes with me a buck fifty, I am damn sure capable and have displayed on many occasions the ability to give it right back to them. But yeah. if they're trying to get across a point that I don't agree with necessarily, I don't, I don't just jump down their throat. I let them speak their mind even on my page. Like, you know, I got people coming on my, coming on my page. This is a recent situation. This fool, it, it, and I can't call him a fool because he's a friend, but it, what he did was foolish. You know, he actually used to be uh, a part of, uh, of the Aryan Brotherhood, you know, a group of people that, that highly dislike black people and, and have been known to attack and, and hurt and kill black people. Uh, and you wouldn't think that somebody like myself with a father who was a former Black Panther and some of the things that my dad's been off into, that, that somebody like myself would be friends with somebody like that. But needless to say, here we are, and we are friends. And uh, we became that way because I was sitting in a jail cell with this motherfucker. And uh, the jail staff tried to put us in there thinking that we was going to get into it anyway. And the moment they took me in there, the dude said, First thing he said to me, he looks up, older dude now, by the way. He's not like he's young. Older dude, he looks up, he said, hey, I think I might have some information that will help you out with your case. Didn't know me from a can of paint, never seen him. But here is a former member of the Aryan Brotherhood talking to a young black uh, and Jewish uh, um, individual. Now, they, they don't only dislike black people, they dislike Jewish people as well. So I was two things that he really didn't like. And uh, this guy was very cordial. And he was very uh, 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 civil and uh, spoke his mind and, and gave me his background about his life. But we're friends now. And he's on my Facebook page. And sometimes he likes to come on, and uh, I believe that some of his old ways and old ideas come out. You know, and, and uh, he, he, he says things like the, the Holocaust was, was fake on my page. And goes, but he doesn't just say it's fake and troll. He said it's fake, and then he goes on to list uh, different sources that he feels validate and support his position that it never happened, or at least it didn't happen the way that the uh, main the main uh, story is being told on how it happened. And you know, half of my family is Jewish, man, Jewish and Irish. My grandfather is is straight, 100% Hungarian Jew, and uh, he's alive, and he's one of one of my friends on Facebook. And that just goes to show you how much respect I got for people that have a difference of opinion in me. This guy came on to my uh, page and basically was talking about the Holocaust never took place. And I didn't berate him. I didn't trash him. I didn't talk shit to him. I told him, you know, you might want to post some sources with, with your claim, which he did do. But I, I left it there. I left it alone. You know, if my grandfather or my uncles or my aunts want to come on and, and – uh, you know, uh, teach them a lesson, they could do that. But I didn't, I didn't trash him. And what pissed yeah. me off recently is, uh, you know, I'm posting about this tragic uh, situation that took place with Ahmaud Arbery and him being gunned down in the middle of the street, in the middle of the street by these two gentlemen, not gentlemen, but by these two clowns down here in, uh, in Georgia. And, uh, you know, the, the, the things that lead to that, this, the, uh, socioeconomical environment and the way things have have gotten to that manner 
where people still feel like it's all right in 2020 to be chasing a, 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 a black man down the street and, and, and shoot him three times in broad daylight like an animal. You know, and it's not just his situation I've been talking about. It's situations that I raised that I believe have led to this long-standing situation that I believe our government and some of the people that benefit from the way things are uh, like to try to turn a blind eye to. And I'll be damned if every time I don't say something like that, that's, that's like, hey, man, you know, killing black people has to stop, man. It's got to stop. These same three people, including the guy I was telling you about, and another guy I went to high school with back in the day that I used to be really good friends with, and we're just kind of acquaintances now. And then this other guy that uh, you and I have have uh, befriended on uh, Facebook that we we've never met in person, but just was a pretty cool dude until um, until recently. They all three like to get on these posts about black men being killed specifically, and, and they like to they like to uh, say, well, what about black on black crime? What about blacks killing blacks? And what about it's synonymous with going to a, a breast cancer run and talking about, well, what about testicular cancer and what about skin cancer? You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you don't do shit like that. You know, like, it, that those things are real and those things are problems as well that have to be dealt with. But today, what we're here to deal with is this subject. Why the fuck are you bringing up other irrelevant subject matters to, the, to, a, to this subject, which is a black man being gunned down in the middle of the street in the middle of the day in the middle of 2020, and none of the other 20 people that that all the folks who are who are uh, justifying his murder, uh, 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 they're they're justifying it, saying he shouldn't have been walking in this open construction site and he still be alive. Technically speaking, correct. But what about the other 20 people that there's video of that are all Caucasian that are walking on the same property day and night who didn't get gunned down? That's what we're here talking about. But they want yeah. to point they want to point to all these other irrelevant factors that have nothing to do with the subject matter because the subject matter makes them uncomfortable. And the subject matter, if it's dealt with and handled correctly and the problems with the subject matter are addressed and fixed, then that begins to dismantle the systemic system that a lot of these folks are benefiting from and they don't want to see it change. So instead of talking about the root of the problem, they want to talk about how we can fix us. And that's, that's synonymous with, uh, with, uh, with driving a car at a, at a high rate of speed and very erratic to the point to where one of your axles breaks off in motion and pierces your tire. And now your car is disabled on the side of the road, right? And motherfuckers come along to you and they're like, well, if you get yourself a new tire because that one's flat, you should be able to drive. You'll be good without addressing the fact that the fucking axle that the tire is attached to is broken. So even if I put a brand-new tire on this fucking axle and try to drive with it again, the axle's going to pierce the tire again, and the tire's going to be flat. So now I'm back to square one again, and they're going to come right back around again, and they're going to say, well, get you another tire. Get you a new tire. Get you a tire that can withstand it this time, as opposed to addressing the fact that the fucking axle is broken, and that's what needs to be fixed in order for this car to start running properly again. That's the easiest way I can put it. You know what I'm saying? So... Yeah, no, I'm with you, bro. Just, just, just listen uh, to tell, you, people, tell, your, tell your story. I mean, and the whole thing is... So, no, I, I don't. I don't. I don't trash them. But I get pissed off when them same people I yeah. don't trash have the fucking gall and the nerve and the nuts to come on my personal page 
and tell me the things that I should be and should not be advocating for and why I'm wrong and why this and why that. I don't do that to y'all on your pages, and I, de- I don't do it to y'all when you come to my page, so why the hell would you come to mine and tell me how to handle or speak or, or what I should make people aware of or raise awareness about? So that, that's the only thing that will get me upset, and you'll see me kind of cutting up with some folks. But outside of that, you are correct. I let people speak their mind, man. That's the only way to come to an understanding normally, unless people are being purposefully ignorant or, or they have purposeful cognitive dissonance where they're, they're, they purposely don't want to hear the facts. They just keep bringing up a bunch of irrelevant shit. You got and that usually really happens with black men. <laughs> the thing <laughs> is, I mean, just to, you know, get off this and, you know, go back to the music, I mean, my analogy, what I try to always use because I've gotten older, you know, you just can't educate some folks and they're going to be, like, lost in the mindset. So... When people bring up saying about black and black crime in Chicago and all that, I'm like, you know, if you really knew what Chicago was, was really going on to the extent, and if you want to take it a bit deeper about gentrification and all that, it's kind of like this. All right, so Chicago, you have, you have rival gangs that are in a certain area of Chicago. Mm-hmm. People come in and buy this stuff up, and one rival gang is forced to move to another side of town where the rivals are staying, so conflict's going to happen. It's the equivalent of putting, like, two, a, a cricket and maybe, like, a cockroach in the same jar. They're going to fight. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's because And then how to get to the point situation. of us having gangs anyway? You feel me? Yeah. Like, what are the socioeconomic uh, applications and, and, and situations and actions that occurred that put our communities in the place to where gangs became to uh, gangs began to a fruition come into reality and then b uh, uh, continue to take over afterwards. There's only so many things that can that that can grow those types of situations. And when you it's the same analogy you're using, but it needs to go a step higher to the next step. And that 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 process was was put on the whole community because what happens in a community of people when you remove all the proper resources that everybody else has access to freely that you're making it more than difficult for a certain group of people like black Americans to get those same resources. What happens when you take out economic uh, resources and finances and, 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 and uh, uh, ability to get higher education and uh, 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 stay out of jail and things like that? You start getting things like gangs. You start getting things like people going hungry and not being able to pay their rent for five months. And so people start robbing and killing each other. It's, the socioeconomic programs that were put into place by admittedly by different different law enforcement apparatuses in our government, such as the FBI, admittedly, the CIA, admittedly, uh, pro- programs like COINTELPRO, where they were targeting black communities specifically with false information, propaganda, and making false arrests that they've admitted to that took our dads, our uncles, our brothers, our mothers, our aunts, our, our, our leaders out of our fucking communities and either incarcerated them or killed them or, or uh, injected hardcore drugs that none of us own a, a fucking plane or a boat to bring into Chicago or Los Angeles or New York, that these motherfuckers are floating in and they're starving a group of people and then dropping in a, an illegal way, first of all, for some of the people who are brave enough to get out and try to make money with it, uh, drugs, I mean, they go out with this illegal way, 
And, yeah, you making money for yourself, but in the process of you making money and taking that chance and that risk based on the lack of, of socioeconomic resources that are available to you because of how you look, now you're, you're striving and you're also putting your life and your freedom at risk because if you get caught, it's a wrap, but you're also destroying your own motherfucking community because you're selling those drugs to your community. So the whole thing is a plan. The whole thing is a blueprint, and gangs don't just pop up for the hell of it. You feel what I'm saying? So anytime yep. these motherfuckers get to talking about gangs and drugs and black-on-black crime and all that, I always try to direct them back to what is the cause of those effects that you guys, mostly Caucasian Americans nowadays, what's the cause of those effects that you guys are bringing up every chance you get when another black person is killed unjustly? What, why, why are those things happening? Why is it that you believe the statistics from the FBI that are percentages, mind you, they're not the raw numbers, they're percentages that suggest that black people are more prone to criminality than white people when the raw numbers actually show that white people commit more crimes than black people do, but that doesn't support the false narrative that the FBI has admitted to starting about the black community in programs like COINTELPRO. So all the shit that they talking, the gangs and all of that, the black-on-black crime and whatnot, all of that only started to come up when they continued to keep their fucking boot on our necks and give us basically whatever the fuck they felt like giving us to get by with and then coming in and busting us and putting us in jail for the shit that they gave us to survive on. It's, it's a vicious, ugly-ass cycle, and nobody wants to get back to the root. So that cycle I'm talking about is the axle on the car that I just compared it to is broken. You can keep fixing the tire. You can get rid of gangs right now. If you keep the same socioeconomic uh, uh, environment, then you, it, which is the broken axle, it don't matter how many new tires you put on that motherfucker, the tire is always going to go bad. Always, because you haven't fixed the root of the problem that got the first tire that got fucked up that way in the first instance. They, they just keep telling us, put a new tire on it. Fuck a new tire. Let's get a new axle. You know what I'm saying? Knowledge, folks. Tune back in next week for part three of this interview.